Dear listener, you and yours truly, Dr. Bruce, have made it to a key milestone, our golden 50th podcast here in the Levity Zone. And to light a bright cavalcade of birthday candles, I offer you this very special piece, Fire in the Sky, a multi-part poem flowed through me courtesy of a visiting muse. On four separate dawns in the spring of 2016, I awoke with a phrase in my head, whereupon I immediately headed for the mic and recorded each of these four tales of cosmic and human history. My dear friend and composer, Val Santana, then rendered them perfectly with his album, Etheric Echoes. This resulted in perhaps my most poetic spoken word piece to date, a full-tilt journey from the birth of the cosmos to the origin of life and onwards to human conscious awareness. There is nothing, nothing at all, nothing but random quantum fluctuations. It's lonely, but it's perfect, perfect, perfect for the Ur particle to come into existence. The Ur particle says, I will exist. The universe says back to it, no, you won't. I will shuck you off. I had the perfect rest state, and you interrupted it. I will become an existing being. I will persist. I will be here in the next moment. And then the clock of time begins, the tick-tock of time. To advance its cause, the Earth particle quickly creates its double, and the double of its double and they fluoresce, they fluoresce along the golden spiral of the Fibonacci sequence. But there's a little wiggle, there's a little introduction of something, something special wiggles, something of intelligence, of mind, something of a hand wiggles into the picture. So the perfect Fibonacci spirals the rails upon which the particles are moving out, gets shifted, shifted by a random quantity. A random quantity. Where does random come from? The random is the hand of God. And this random piles up and piles up. It throws the particles into chaos. The edge of the sunflower blurs. Things start to collide things start to merge, and BAM! The cosmos lights up, the Big Bang. And there's a fire in the sky. Rushing outward, the cosmos now breathes out chaos. As it had inhaled order, it now breathes out chaos and rushes out, rushes out 
until it meets the obstruction, until it meets the boundary, the rubber banda of gravitas pulls it back into union, says you can't go any further. I will keep you in union. I am gravity, the great forger. I now go to work with my hammer and tongs. I bring you together, you little or particles everywhere. Create some order from that chaos. Fall in, fall into my gravity well. I will take you. So they fall in, they spiral in. They get denser and denser. They get hot. They've never experienced hot, except at their births. It's a new birth, a rebirth of the cosmos, as stars ignite, and suddenly, there are many fires in the sky. A billion years pass, and a billion more, and more particles are made, and more fires are lit in the sky. Then around one, one very special one, there are circling organic ices. These are the ices made in cosmochemistry, the beautiful structures in the beautiful scriptures of something to come. The star ignites, the star brilliates the disk, the warmth melts the ice to droplets, and these fall in to impregnate hopeful worlds. On rocky worlds, eager oceans mop up these droplets. Volcanoes light the night and lift their fire above the black oceans. The sky goes boom with a flash of meteorites. More fires in the sky, feeding our restless newborn world. The clouds finally part, the atmosphere clears pink, and the young sun warms our baby planet's tender new skin, just a few miles thick. The first freshwater rain falls, bathes the baby, and bubbling up through the parched Archean landscape, feeds warming pots, stirring and ingratiating the soup of life.
we are liquid crystals, soft and liquid. We formed from lipid. We squirmed our way into being. We took up the polymers and we produced the functions. We are soft, soft crystal. We grew, we accumulated. We accumulated at the bottom of the pool as it was drying down. We fed, we fed on the concentrated monomers. We built new function. We dried out. We exhumated all our trash. We spread. We spread by being lifted. We rafted down the river. We found a new pool. It was just about right. The Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone. We lifted. Wind captured us, peeled us off as a film. We were dry then. We were the spore. We traveled far across the island. We landed under the slab. We learned how to lick the sunlight. Then we met our brethren in the pool, our sistren in the stream. We shared genes, we squiggled together, we shared dreams. We were the progenote, the roots of the tree of life. For millions of years we recombined the hydrogel protocell. We mashed together, we carried the genetic underground. We created and fed in the genetic cloud. Up out of the genetic cloud rose functions. We shared the functions. Earth was a pleasant place. Asteroid impacts every month. Acid rain. But plenty of food from the sky. Interplanetary dust particles kept feeding us. But then one day we ignited. One of our sistren figured it all out. She made PAHs, those funny ringed carbon compounds. We ate the PAHs, but then we found a better use for them. They floated up to the top of our gel and our communal unit was screened from the sun screened from the sun, but as the photons hit it, the absorption bit it, and we got energized. Energy for all, free for all. We fed from the fire in the sky, and that was the beginning of photosynthesis. Now we could make our own food. We didn't have to wait for the particles. We didn't have to wait for the roiling, boiling soup to produce it for us. We could make our own. We were phototrophs, and we were on our way. We were on our run. We had a planet to transform, so we needed that energy. 
but we had the vitality, the vitality to transform a world. A garden lay in our future, and someone, someone in a hut, in front of a microphone, in front of a microphone, talking about us, figuring us out, how we came to be, loving us for what we did. Three billion years of planetary cleaning. First the coffee-colored oceans precipitate all that iron, fill that buffer with oxygen, and then bloom it into the atmosphere. We now have a blue sky, a blue sky and clean rain and oxygen made by the microbial mat, made by the mighty stromatolite, ringing all the continents, all the green slime that made our world and allowed us to make our bodies. So that's the story, the story of us gel progenotes, the story of the soft crystal beings. And as you think about that, inside your brain case, your brain case, which is made of appetite, the bone of your body is made of mineral, but inside, lies a most wondrous liquid crystal, the most densely ramified matter in the cosmos, the brain. Your neurons, your neuronal bundle is a gigantic, cosmographied, glorious quantum machine. It's a quantum liquid crystal machine that can see into the cosmos. It can echo with the cosmos, and it can look back upon its own beginning. So think about that, and as you're thinking about that, you're making the beginning, and you're making where we go next. You're creating the future. The waves go out. The intention is set, and the stepping stones are placed in front of you.
slime climbs. Slime climbs and invents lignin, which allows it to climb to the fire in the sky. Jeans scream, jeans scream, and the dinosaurs roar into existence. The animals are here, the animals. The great forests cover the continents, the green. And one day the whip-tailed creature, the prosimian, alights on the limb of the great rainforest giant, because what it sees is a glistening globule at dawn, pulling itself from the ball, the secure colony. It walks out onto that limb, seeking the sap of the glistening globule, and as its lips purse and pull in the nutriment, it looks around, one eye toward the community ball, the community ball, if it sees her taking the precious glucose, will bust her. She'll be busted if they see her. One eye scans the cosmos. One eye sees the stars. One eye wonders about what are these fires in the sky. Her mind is opening. Her mind is questioning. And then the rays from our fire in the sky touch her. And for a moment, the eye comes down. The eye looks into her future and sees a pattern across the limb. A pattern of squares. Bright colored squares on a dark patina. What are these things, she questions. They're flowing, but then they're still. Her mind is asking, what is this mosaic of color that I see? And realization begins to spark. The fire of knowing, the fire in the mind. Because as she's watching the trippy scale pattern, the head of the serpent is wrapping itself around the limb and moving to a striking position underneath her. And if she does not realize and leap at the right moment, he will snap her ass down. So slowly and inexorably through a trillion quests for the elixir, quests for the mind to open, for a trillion trips to the medicina, there's an encounter with the serpent, and the encounter with the serpent ends in being snapped up or snapping to. And for each snapping to, she goes back and creates another, creates her double, who's a little smarter, but also who can see in 3D, who understands color and acuity, the progeny and their offspring climb. They climb that hill to consciousness. Their minds open and ignite the fire within. Roll the clock 60 million years. Artipithecus walks the forest floor, but she can still climb 
so she climbs the tree to grasp a fake, peers out upon the brilliance of the advancing dry Serengeti. She squints and peers through the heat haze, and there in the mirage a face is presented of a weird, weird beast never seen. But it's a weird, weird beast that is her. It is her, it is the other hominids coming. They're coming for her. What does this all mean? What is this threat as the fall of Eden exposes them to this new world? She tilts her head. She's afraid, but she's also curious. What is this face she sees in the haze? The face of her future. Ashen feet, ashen feet, press their forms into the land, and the family walks around the volcano, walks northward, out of East Africa, walks across into the face of the glaciers, walks down south, finds itself in the Alps, Villages are built, furs are worn, feet are shod, and a new era is born, and flint chips on flint, and sparks fly, and now the fire in the sky becomes the fire on the land, and hands are warmed in the Paleolithic village, the hunt is held, the story told, and men can grow old. Some of these men, and some women too, the shaman, wander the land. From village to village they seek truth, they seek truth and they tell it. And in their pokes, in their pouches, the medicinal herb, the mushroom, forms, they bring the beginning of the healing. On the back end of the healing comes the revealing. The shaman dances, the tribe prances. The beat, the drums beat, is set. The hearts beat together. Community opens. Walking down from the Alps, the Iceman cometh. 
He arrives in the peninsula. The farms are set. The fishermen set forth. They set the stones. They build the beautiful temples. The Greeks have built their classical world. A scratch is made in the ground. Pythagoras is tracing the round, calculating the diameter of the earth at the smallest level. The atom is considered. Philosophy has arrived. Together with nature, science, laughter in the academy. But down the road, Petalusis, the women are carrying the initiation forward from the Upper Paleolithic. In the Telesterion Temple, they initiate a thousand people in the Great Mysteries. They brew a brew, a brew which is taken on the ninth day, and the light of Persephone, returning from Hades, fills the minds of the monkeys, and they become human beings. Human beings that will build a world, the classical world, science and the theater, the polity and the aqueduct. This is a beautiful world, this world of antiquity, until one day the black-robed Pauline Christians, fresh off their fourth Nicene council, on the road to Eleusis, they meet Alaric, the German heavy mover from the north, and hire the demolition crew they arrive at Eleusis and they destroy the temple down to the foundations. They lick the bones of the old world of initiation into the light and replace it with the darkness of guilt and dread. The wings spread and instead of your right to contact the light in your lifetime, you must now bow down you must now pay taxes. And only after following their rules written in their damned book, at the end of your days, you may enter the gates of heaven. Such a crime perpetrated on the human mind and not the saving of the souls, but their stealing. And the bones of civilization come crashing down the aqueducts still carry the waters, but the mystery schools are replaced by churches, and then churches by corporations. And this is where we find ourselves today, still following the damned book, still paying the penance until death, still waiting for the doors of paradise to open. But then in the 60s, in our lifetime, the light returns, the light comes up, not from Hades, but from a place called the Haight-Ashbury, a Dionysian return, and the great mystery is back on the earth, and there are those among us who remember this, and there are those among us who carry this forward even to this day, there are the Hierophants, with their fonts of the precious elixirs. And this tradition is making its comeback. After 1400 years in the church pews, you all find yourself here 
at lightning in a bottle, craving your own initiation, seeking your own light. And so it is. So when you step out of the temple tent and you go out into the night and your mind is alive and you head for the stages, you're going through the stages of your own enlightenment, of your own awakening, of your own opening. When you hit the dance floor and you move your body with the rhythms of the community, when you look up at the DJs, today's shamans, today's hierophants of the temple, when you look at their light, their laser light, coming through the vibrations, and you reach up, up, you can reach up and find your own fire in the sky, your ascension, the monkey's ascension. It can happen right here, right now, tonight. So go and do it. Go and do it. It is, after all, your birthright. As mentioned back in podcast 48, I went on to read this very piece in front of a youthfully live audience at the Lucent Temple of Consciousness at the Lightning in a Bottle Festival this past May of 2016. I invited visionary artist Android Andrew Jones to provide live painting on two big LED walls synchronized to my words. And of course, Val was there to blend in his music with house effects, 
creating an all-new performance package for the festival circuit. Video of this show is being prepared by the good folks at Lightning in a Bottle, but you can see a cell phone capture and some audience photos at the entry for this podcast, number 50, at www.levityzone.org. The cover art for this podcast is a photo by Lisa Corey of me in my silks, belting it out on stage that night. See you next time as we start our second half century in the Levity Zone.